Father, we want to declare this morning that you don't just bring us through. You don't just allow us to exist. But, Father, you have planned for overwhelming victory. You have planned, Lord, for our blessing. Lord, you have planned to give us abundant life in the nation of Canada, in the province of Alberta, in this county and in this city. So, Father, we say today, Lord, we believe that you are the way maker. Father, we bless your name. We acknowledge today that even though the darkness tries to press us down, even though, Lord, forces attempt to creep into our life to steal away our hope, it will not prevail. 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 You know, one of the greatest keys to victory in your life is in perseverance. If you decide that you are just not going to quit, I'm telling you, you win. If you decide that you're just not going to back down, if you decide you're just not going to retreat, you will win. You will absolutely overcome because in doing that, you tap into a force you, get, you tap in to an eternal power that the enemy cannot manage. He can never match the pace or the endurance of what is permanent. The Word of God endures forever, and God puts something inside of you that if you decide that you are going to walk with that, that, you know what, doesn't matter what I feel like today, doesn't matter what the circumstance look like, I'm not turning around and I'm not giving up. You eventually, at some point, will find yourself connected, irretraceably. You will not be able to be separated from this life force. And I'm praying right now, God, in Jesus' name, where we have begun to waver, where we have begun to to wonder, where we have begun to doubt, I pray in Jesus' name, God, that that connection, that connection, Lord, with your permanent life, Oh, God, let it rise right this morning. As we worship, let it rise. Let it begin to come over top of every force of discouragement, every complacency, every doubt. Father, in Jesus' name. So as we continue this morning, I encourage you to continue to worship, continue to lay hold of that overcoming power. Praise God. I think there's something that God is making available to us today. I encourage you, don't hold back. Lean into it. I feel like when we came in the room, it's like there's something standing in our way. But I'm telling you, if you determine, if you determine that there is a hunger and thirst inside of you for something, we are after something. We are after a breakthrough. We have a common enemy that is stealing You might not feel like there's impending trouble in your life, but there are people in the room today that absolutely need a breakthrough. There's a people in the room today that are on the verge of fainting, and they need your faith. They need your perseverance. They need your ability to touch the presence of God this morning.
Let's press through this. Let's lean into this. Thank you, Father. Come on, let's just begin declaring the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is powerful. We declare the mighty name of Jesus. There is no weapon formed that overcome the name. The name of Jesus Christ, we declare in Jesus' name. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. Speak into the Spirit right now. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Right now, there is an enemy in front of us. There's an enemy trying to steal your peace. There's an enemy that's crept up under the cover of night, under the cover of darkness, that's standing at your door. What are you going to say to that enemy? There is an enemy at your door. At your door. At your door. At your children's door. Creeping through the night in Jesus' name. We will not become passive. We will not roll over. We will not submit to witchcraft. We will not submit to bondage. The name of Jesus. 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 Jesus. Come on, contend. Contend. We declare the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. That's right. That's right. The name above every other name. Just begin to pray. Just begin to pray and declare. Come on, we're we're at the threshold of a breakthrough. It may not even be for us. It might be for the church down the road. But we declare the enemies of God, the enemies of Christ will be defeated. We declare that the name of Jesus will rise. This is what the house of God is about. You, He said, my house is meant to be a house of prayer. My house is meant to be a house of contention for those whose minds the God of this world has blinded. My house is meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. Lord, we reach into the darkness. God, we reach into the places of captivity and we say, let the redeemed free. Let my people go. Father, we say in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, every church, every pastor, every leader in this region that is overwhelmed this morning with discouragement, depression, I see a man ready to resign his church. He is so hopeless. He is so overcome, so discouraged. He is about to make a decision this very day. I say, your destiny is not finished. Your ministry is not over. Your path is not stopping right here. In Jesus' name, we send hope. We send hope across the airways. We say, God, let your people arise. Let your children begin to stir with hope. We will not stop. We will not pull back. We contend. We contend. 
We contend for those in the valley of decision this morning. We contend right now all over this county, all over this county, all over this county. We declare people will begin to come to their senses. People who once came to church, they were, you came to church as in Sunday school as a child. Some of you were involved in fellowships. You're, you are passionate about the kingdom of God, and it's all gone. And you're thinking, you're sitting somewhere right now, and all of us say, where did it all go wrong? Where did it start? I'm telling you right now, the path to return. The path is being highlighted right now. Like lights, like lanterns are on the path. I say, rise, rise from your desperation. Rise from your chains. Rise from enslavement. We contend, God, for the church. We contend for those with destiny. Yes, we are our brother's keeper. We will not relent in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Listen, if we're called for anything, we are called to contend for souls. We are called to contend for those who cannot contend for themselves. God, release right now. Release right now. Let me say, these things are very, very real. You know, just as real as the war movies you maybe saw when you were a kid of uh, World War II and you see these offensives, you know, whether it's Vietnam or the Nazis or whatever it is, but when, when the enemy moves, he moves in concert with other, other forces and it's strategized and they move all at once. And you know what? This week... The enemy has plotted the destruction of many. The enemy has begun to move on lives this week. One of the testimonies we have this week is that on Tuesday, somebody was mentioning that everybody they saw on Tuesday was overwhelmed by a a similar mental orientation, emotional orientation. Without, Without exception, every single person that they saw What is that? That is evidence of an offensive, evidence of a movement in the spirit. We see these patterns all the time. We see this all of a sudden. You'll you'll meet four different people in the same town who've broken the same bone in the same leg, the same arm. What is that? That is a synchronized spiritual assault. This is what it's about. We are engaged with an enemy And when we worship God, the beautiful thing, when we worship God and begin to release his presence, we enter into a place where we enter into God's room, God's war room, God's court, and we begin to hear the determinations of God and how God is responding, how God wants us to respond against this assault. And largely it's no, not here. No, not here. Beginning with my life, no, not here. And so I give and impart to you today the boldness, the authority to say, no, not here. No, not in my life. I'm not receiving that accusation. I'm not receiving that uh, low expectation. I'm not coming under that disillusionment. I'm not going there in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So, God, we are, we are overcome today, or at least I am. I am overcome, Lord, from those, God, for whom the enemy has washed over with waves 
and waves of darkness. And I say, Lord, let the billows that emerge from the deep that calls to deep begin to flow over their life. Let the effervescence of the optimistic, hopeful thinking that comes from light, let it begin to, to cascade down upon them wherever they are. Oh, God, we declare we are not victims. We refuse to be victims. You know, when the enemy comes in and is pushed back, a counteroffensive is as effective as an offensive and sometimes often more effective. So, Father, we say, God, we want to see two things accomplished today. Father, we want to see the lightnings of God the thunders of God strike the camp of the enemy today hold the enemy in derision God cause the one that comes up one way to scatter seven ways Lord mark our enemy fearsomely God mark him so that he will dread to come against the people of God in this region again Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that all over this county that salvations and hope and intercession will begin to spring up such that an amazing advance will be made in every church, in every quarter, in every home group, in every life right now in Jesus' name. Rather than a setback, there will be an advance. Rather than a depression, there will be a wave of hope that will carry us, that will carry this region that will overshadow everything the enemy planned, we declare in Jesus' name, victory, 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 in Jesus' name, victory. So, Father, we pray as we shift this morning, we pray, God, that individuals will hold on to a moment of illumination to a moment of victory and not faint, not, not fall back in Jesus' name. You know, when Joshua was going into the promised land, we know, we know that God had said, go in, take the land. But it wasn't without struggle, right? It wasn't without struggle. There's a mindset in the minds of many Christians that, well, if God's in this, there should therefore be no struggle. Yeah, well, that's not biblical in the least. What we do have is this kind of promise. And this is what Joshua said when he was encouraging the people of Israel. He said, said, listen, go in and be bold because their covering is gone from them. And what he's referring to there is a spiritual dynamic around principalities and powers. Because... They, they maybe not, didn't fully understand it the way we do today, but they said, we're not actually fighting against armies of people. We're fighting against principalities and powers. And when that victory is won, this, this, this victory here is nothing. And God has promised that he is dealing with principalities and powers. And that's what he does through the sound of our worship, through the sound of your faith. So, Lord, seal this moment. And for those of us, Lord, who don't consider ourselves to be prophetic, who don't consider ourselves to have depth of vision in the intangible world, Lord, I pray that by faith we can grab a hold of this moment, realizing that the seen things are made up of the unseen things. 
that by faith we know that that which is created, that which is visible, that which is tangible exists because of what is invisible. And the one is predicated upon the other and that by faith, when we touch the invisible, we can change the natural. Amen? Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray today for a new kind of alignment in our life. Father, we pray that... Uh, as we try to order the visible, the obvious, the superficial things of our life, we pray that you would penetrate deeper to the invisible places of our heart and, and bring an alignment to the things we cannot touch. Father, I pray today that the penetrating power of your word, God, will touch places within us that we never knew existed. God, we ask in Jesus' name. Oh, Father, change us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, it says, uh, I think it's in Proverbs, it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We think, well, yeah, but, uh, you know, God knows my heart. Yes, and that should not justify you. Because, you know, Jeremiah 17 says that the heart is deceitful, desperately wicked, uh, deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And so what we need in our life is we need a manifestation of light to see what's in there because fundamentally when you come to church, when you posture yourself and present your your good deeds towards men, when you decide that, okay, I'm going to be nice today, that, that don't, that, that's only skin deep. Right? What you can do in terms of rearranging the suppressing the evil urges and the thoughts and the and the impulses to say nasty things, that's a great thing. You should you should resist those. You should suppress them. But the mere suppression of that uh, of those things is not is not equal to righteousness. Righteousness is when you dig deep and there's nothing but good there. That's the goal that God is trying to bring us to. And we see that in Jesus, of course. He's, he's on the cross. They're killing him. They're spitting him. They're insulting him. They're, they're treating him in deplorable ways, right? Ways that would make your head spin. I mean, if anybody was worthy to be treated well. I mean, Jesus wasn't on the cross saying, don't you know who I am, right? Have you ever been in a store and somebody talks to you in a room? Don't you know who I am? I'm a taxpayer, you know. I'm a big deal at our work. That's an anchorman line I was told yesterday. You know, I don't know if you know, but I'm kind of a big deal where I come from. We're all a big deal, but when you have to go to that, don't you know who I am? You know, anyway. So, so God is trying to bring more than superficial behavioral modification to your life. He is trying to penetrate to the depth of where intention is birthed inside of you. And that the Bible calls the heart. In Hebrews 4.12 it says that the word of God has the penetrating power to pierce deep, to go past your sinews, to your muscles, your, 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 you know, your bone, your marrow. It, it, it pierces past. It separates everything that can be separate, separated. But then it says, and it is a revealer of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. 
Well, let me ask you, when God is coming to you with the sword of his spirit and he's coming to reveal your heart, who is he showing it to? He already knows. Probably your wife already knows. Your husband might. I mean, I'm just kidding. They may not know everything that's in there, but there's ample evidence usually that trickles to the top. Right? But, but he's trying to show you what's at the core of your heart because we have a tendency to, you know, justify. We have a tendency to align things. We have a tendency to, to say, well, you know, that really wasn't pure selfishness. That was uh, efficiency. That was, you know, we put a different name on it. I was just trying to blah, 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 whatever you do, right? We have this way. I mean, our capacity for self-deception is immense. So the word to change us has to change our hearts. Whoa. So God is about doing that. He's, he's doing that right now. And the beautiful thing is he's more committed to doing that than you are to receiving it. But as your level of accommodation to that goal rises, there is a convergence and the light is able to penetrate in ways. And I, you know what, as I, as I look across the room today and I, I look at so many lives and I, I see you not as you are and I see you not even just as I feel you're going to be, but I see you as the sum total of your journey. And many of you, uh, and the most rewarding thing when I, when I look at faces, the people I seem to enjoy the most is the people who failed miserably but just got up again. You know, who didn't, didn't deny the fact, didn't try to lie to themselves, but you know what? Yeah, uh, that, that was the case. That was the reality. But I'm coming back to the table and I'm submitting myself to God's process. We're not pretending. We're not here. We're not, we're not in church today because we're holy. We're not in church today because we have no problems. We're not worshiping and lifting our hands with boldness because we're, we're, we're flawless in our, in, our, in our actions. We're doing it because we need to be changed. And so there's a certain comfort in that. And I pray that even as I press into this word this morning, that the overwhelming sense of, of the power of truth as it can work in you We'll, uh, we'll, take, we'll gain a new threshold of agreement in your heart. So, Father, God, penetrate our lives today in Jesus' name. So, I'm, uh, I feel like today is a little bit more of a kind of a teaching day. Which is why you might be wondering, okay, how come Diana's not playing the keyboard today? Because, you know, there are certain kinds of words that need to be nurtured prophetically with a sound. Remember in the Bible it said Elisha was asked to prophesy and he said, well, do you have a minstrel? And, um, you know, obviously it was, it was a part of the culture at the time. They, they realized that there's something about sound, musical sounds, that, that, you know, cause an atmosphere that allows for certain things to come forward. And, and so we, uh, we see that. We recognize it. That's why we, you know, there's, worship is such a significant part of what we do as the church because, um, you know, there are, there are certain, certain sounds that need musical accompaniment to, uh, to gather strength and come to their fullness. But turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture there. But just before I do, 
I want to I want to try and touch this. I want to try and frame this up for us today. On our journey, there are many things we need to overcome. Um, but the greatest thing you need to overcome is your hatred of the truth. That's the greatest thing. The greatest thing you need to overcome is your your disposition that is not agreeable with the truth. And you think, what are you talking about? I'm a Christian. Of course I love the truth. Well, okay. We're going to have to back up a bit then. No, I'm just... I'm just kidding. I mean, well, let's hope we realize this, that there's something in us that's reticent about embracing the truth. You know, when, when have you ever been in a situation where you, you did something wrong and you know you did it wrong, but it still took you four days or five days or a week or two weeks to go to a person to say you were sorry? Why is that? Because there's, there's something in you that doesn't like looking badly. Something in you doesn't like acknowledging error. So... You know, yeah, we love the truth, but, you know, we have a, a love-hate relationship with it. Well, your, your journey, the increase of your journey, how quickly you get free is predicated upon this one thing, how much you love the truth. And how quickly you want to separate yourself from lies. Is everybody listening? The truth, the love of the truth. Here, there's a passage here in... Uh, Thessalonians says this, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So the single most important commodity that separates the righteous from the unrighteous is the love of the truth. So you can see why Jesus would be admonishing us to love the truth. You can see how that would be an important part of this journey. That's why he said, be careful that the light that is in you be not darkness. Don't tolerate lies don't lie to yourself don't justify evil in your life don't justify resentment don't justify unforgiveness yeah but yeah but yeah but yeah but you don't understand I was really treated poorly well here's the here's the problem do you know what it's not you're being treated poorly that is the most offensive thing in your life do you know that I want to submit something to you today. We're going to talk about what it means to be treated poorly. But you being treated poorly is not the worst thing that happens to you or the thing you struggle with most. What you struggle with more than being treated poorly is being treated well. So I prove that from the Bible. I will. I will. It's, It's... you know, I love that when people say, where's that in the Bible? I always say, everywhere. You know, it's one of those things when, when you see the truth of something, you realize, you know, it was there all the time and you skimmed over those passages and you didn't think that's what it was talking about. And all of a sudden it starts coming to light. 
Now, let me explain. Let me explain. Because it's not as dramatic as I just made it out to be. But I did that for impact. I did that so you go, and maybe start listening. (laughs) Right? So, anyway, the Bible says this. It says, um, you know, Jesus said, when somebody slaps you on the cheek, what do you do? Turn the other cheek. Okay, what's the point of that? The point of that is, is you want to deal with something inside of here because the impulse that comes out of you at that time is to want to hit them in that moment. Now, now this, is not, this is not foreign policy for nations. This is, this is policy for, for overcoming unforgiveness and resentment. That's, that's what that is. So, so we learn to do that. And, and it, is, it can be hard. You know, when people do real despicable, ugly things to you and people insult you, you know, you can, you can actually get a hate on for them and you can struggle with that. But I'm telling you, overcoming that is not nearly as hard as overcoming what I'm about to talk about. And the hardest thing to overcome is more light in your life. That what causes offense in us more than people being bad is people being better than us. That's the thing that's the hardest to overcome because it hits at the core of the commodity that determines how much you advance in the kingdom of heaven. The love of the truth is the primary issue. So let me look at a couple of scriptures and you're going to see quickly that there's a biblical pattern here that is obvious. And you, hopefully you're going to think, why didn't I see this before? But here's what it says in John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Let me just pause there for a second. We we were talking about this here here uh, this last week, and I want to make a distinction here. The reason why Jesus didn't come to condemn the world is because the world is already condemned. In the same way that before the foundation of the earth, Jesus was already crucified because God lives outside of time. God has already determined uh, the condemnation for unrighteousness. He's already, he, he, he has already determined that. So the world is already condemned. Sin is already condemned. Unrighteousness is already condemned. And so we don't need to condemn people. But, but condemnation or condemning people is very different than judging. Judging is making a determination about righteousness. Condemnation is writing people off, okay, because they've been judged to be found wanting. So I just want to throw that out. That's a side note. Maybe we'll preach about that some other time. But anyway... He keeps, he keeps going down here, and he says, he says and uh, because he's condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is one of my favorite verses. You might think, well, I thought John 16. Shouldn't that be our favorite verse? That's a great one. That's a really good one. As is John 15, 315. That's a good one, too. You know what? I find there's a lot of good ones. But uh, no, I love this because it sets some things in order that are important. This is what it says. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world 
And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Now, this doesn't tell the full story. You're going to see some other scriptures in a minute, but there's a lot of good stuff in here. But this is, this is the point. Why are, why are people going to hell? Why are people condemned? Because they're sinners? No. Why are people condemned? Because they, they're fallen? No. Why, why do people go to heaven? Because they're good? No. Because, because they, they went to church? No. I mean, there's a lot of things we should and should not do, so I'm not negating any of those things. But the difference between those who go to hell and those who go to heaven revolves around the love of the light. It revolves around one thing. You see, essentially at the core, whatever excuses, whatever talk we may make about why we're doing this and what's wrong, and it, at the end of the day, God is light. And there is an inclination inside of us that may be to love him, but there's an inclination to hate him. And that could be in the same person at the same time. But it, it's, we're, we're looking at measures, increasing measures of loving the light. But I've realized that there's something in me that sometimes hates the light. And I, as I look back on my life, I remember, remember as a child, just enjoying playing so much. Playing, I never had video games, so I couldn't play video games. But, you know, playing with blocks and G.I. Joes and being outside and running around. You know what I hated more than anything? Yeah, being told to do something that I didn't want to do in that moment. And I remember I would get so mad. I would get, I would get, you know, I feel this rage inside me that, uh, and I would, I would just, you know, it'd be this voice, Mark, come, you know, ignore, suppress. It's like, it's like somebody poking you. You know, I'm in this thing, I'm as fun as, and and I remember the tension, the tearing inside of me. What? which I never did to my dad. Never, not once. Because the repercussions were immediate. And, uh, and so for, you know, it was easier to tear away myself, you know, from my dad because, you know, there's a tear here or there's a terror here. One, choose, choose your poison. But, but I remember thinking the rationale that used to go through my mind as I justified the rage, and I would just think, I just, this is so not right. <laughs> Why is it not right? Be- well, I'm playing. I'm having fun. And you're ruining my fun. Now, I was disciplined. And so I could only let that lie ferment for so long, you know, because there, there was always a truth. There's always a light shining into to my life. And, and actually, I'm so grateful for that discipline because I don't know if you could ever come to the Lord if you weren't uh, marked as a child with light, with, with correction, with the ability to take discipline. Because everything that happens later in your life as a Christian is related to discipline. 
is related to a father who loves you, who is consummate light and love, and who says, listen, any way that you differ from me, you are at fault, you are darkness. There's something less than there should be in your life. And so the constant work of God is to bring us into more light. But there's something in us that doesn't respond easily. And I can't go into what all these things are, but, but this is the root cause of all the judgment, all, the, all of eternity. Everything that's going to happen comes down to this one central issue. This is the condemnation, that men love darkness. So right now, you may be thinking, ah, I'm, I'm a pretty good Christian. Yeah, I've discovered, I can't go into it all, but I've had a visitation, I've had a number of visitations from the Lord, but I had one where the terror of the Lord, the, the ultimate light came and shone into my life in a, uh, in a window of time. And the terror that that created, as I felt things reverberating inside me under the threat of that light that I was intimately connected to, and I could not separate myself from. And I, I can't tell you how that feels, except that it is terrorizing. It is a shaking beyond imagination. And I literally could, got to the point where I ran from the room because I couldn't handle the light that was shining. It was the most terrible and the most wonderful experience of my life. But it set in, it kind of put a stake in the ground, and set some things in place which were to come later. But here's the thing. What struck me is why is that light of God so terrifying? What is it inside of me? And I do mean inside of me that retreats from this. Paul said it this way. He said, inside of me there's something. There's something that's anathema to God. It is, there's something inside of me that is hostile to the things of God. And he goes on and he talks about his journey. He says, I don't even, I don't even consider that, that I've apprehended everything or I'm finished. So I press towards the mark of the high calling. What is he talking about? You're saved. What are you talking about? You're an apostle. What are you talking about? You've written, you've written half the New Testament. You know, what, do you, what, do you, what do you mean? No, I have seen the God who dwells in unapproachable light. And I realize that there's still something inside of me that is resistant, that, is, that, is, that has a tendency to pull away. And I'm, I'm eager to deal with that, but, but I can't. I can't more than I'm willing. And so where do I find that willingness to embrace a light that is so terrible to that part of me? You may think, well, I don't know if that... That typifies, describes my journey. Yes, it does. It absolutely describes every single one of your journey. And when I think about some of the people in this room that I love, I, I, I see these plateaus moments, these shifts moments, these upgrade moments. And you know what they're about? They're always about this one issue that I found in you a desire, a new desire to embrace light that yesterday you were unwilling to embrace. And every shift in your life Every increase and advance of the kingdom of God in your life 
is about not protecting a persona, not protecting an image, not protecting a need to be right or need to be righteous or need to be approved, not being afraid anymore of shame or rejection, but saying, you know, come hell or high water, I want the truth. That desperation is what marks those who run to the light quickly and those who hesitate. Now, let me go on because there's there's more to this and I think my time is waning. That means it's running out. But the same apostle, the apostle John, wrote something else in 1 John, incidentally, also in chapter 3. He didn't know he was writing chapters, but. Anyway, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. This is interesting because, because he, 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 I love the way John tends to come back and he uh, encapsulates, re-encapsulates certain themes. He say, you know, this is the message. He starts with, this is the message. You know, all that stuff we've told you, all the experience, all those days, three years walking with you, it's, it's unto this, this is the central truth. All right? So he says that right here in the beginning. He says, For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Here it is, guys. Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. His works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. See, this, this, this tendency, we need to see this as a, as, as a kind of a, a way that the world goes. The world hates light more than it hates darkness. The world can recover from evil things done to them. Unsaved people can recover from wrong things done to them more than they can recover from right things done for them. He said said, listen, here's the, here's the, here's the whole the, the summation of the conflict of light and darkness, that darkness hates light, and it has no good reason to. It has no good reason to. So here, when John is saying this, says, Cain's deeds were evil, and, and he killed Abel because Abel's deeds were good. He was mad at Abel. He was resentful. He, he, was, he was so moved with rage that he picked up a rock or whatever it was and he smashed his brother's, crushed his skull. Why? Well, what did he do? Did he, did he cheat you? Did, did he hurt you? Did he, did he lie to you? Did he take some of your sheep or, or, or some of your, your fruit? I mean, uh, you know, what did he do? Did he pillage your, your garden? No, he was just so darn good. Let me tell you, the nature of the fallenness of man and what hides in the abyss of darkness that's at the cornerstone, at the root, at the deepest part of the heart of man is a belief that there's no one better than me. And anybody, anybody who threatens that order of things must die. That's... That's the summation of the impulse of the sin nature. But, you know, well, that isn't my experience. I, I've found people that are relatively good only because they need to be. There's no good outside of God. 
Oh, I got neighbors, and they're pretty good people. Yeah, and they're not really good. There's nobody really good. No one is really good. But you know what people have? A need to be perceived to be good. And you wouldn't believe the kind of energy uh, that comes out of self-righteousness. You wouldn't believe the dedication, the, the depth of the power to do, to cover the whole earth. Jesus looking at the Pharisees and he said, you, you, you hypocrites, you lying, deceiving, whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. You, you're evil, impeccably evil. You, and then you go and you make a, 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 a convert and he becomes twice the child of hell that you are. Who were these people? These were the best of the best of the best. Driven by veritable darkness to appear like light. That's what's at work inside the sin nature. And that's what Jesus has come to redeem us from. The hatred of a light that's greater than mine. Well, where does that, ex- where does that ever come up? Let's just say, let's just say you're a dancer. You're on a dance team. And you are the main dancer. And, you know, you get the solos, you get whatever it is, and, and everybody's, oh, I love the way she dances. And all of a sudden, somebody else comes along. And they're ten times better. Do you like that person? Or do you find reasons why, well, yeah, they're good. But you will scrutinize everything they say, everything they do to find flaws because you hate that their goodness has put you in a bad light. That what previously caused, you know, I had a good thing going here. Everybody thought I was the best and everybody was always in awe of my dancing. And you come along and now I'm just a dancer instead of the dancer. Is it limited to dance? No, every, every, every sphere of life. You, you work in a warehouse, you work, you know, and there's a culture there, and, you know, you, everybody gets along, and some keener gets a job there. And, and he's, he's working, I mean, he's, he's like a dynamo, and he's putting out ten times as much product, and he's stacking it, and, everybody, and when, 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 when lunch whistle goes and lunch is over, he's out there right away. Oh, you love that guy, right? You love that keener because, no, it's evil that we hate, but he's, he's making us look bad, and that's evil. We don't hate the darkness. We are inclined to like the darkness. We hate the light. We hate the light that exceeds our light. That's what we hate. Because, and I've seen it again and again, in the cultures of the church, and I'm telling you, this is what God is coming to shake in the body of Christ. He's coming to shake structures that are in, are, have entrenched a behavior, have entrenched a limitation 
that have entrenched a definition of what is good, but do not manifest or represent the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ, but are in themselves resistant to a greater light because our egos, our positions, our roles, our significance is what's hanging in the balance. And when the Pharisees saw what Jesus was doing, they're saying, if we let this man continue, I mean, we're losing the popular vote of the people, but if we let this continue, and that's bad enough and we hate that, but the Romans will come away, come and take our name and our place. So we must kill him. Why? Because he's evil? Because he's a thief? Because he's unrighteous? No, he's too good. The greatest hostility that comes from the heart of man is reserved not for evil, but for good. Any good that exceeds my goodness, I have a problem with, and I will try to find fault with. Because you know what? See, when I see flaws in other people, it just makes me feel good about them. So I don't mind. I can tolerate your flaws. Does it make me feel as I'd like to feel? Superior. But don't be better than me. Don't be better than me. I've heard this from pastors. I've heard this from ministry leaders. Say, all oh, these people that, that talk about a deeper revelation, there's no deeper revelation. There's, there's you get saved and then you be good. You know, anybody who's, who's going beyond that is, is selling something. These guys that say that, do you, think, do you think they're protecting something? Do you think they're protecting the honor and the glory and the majesty of a God who dwells in unapproachable light, whose glory cannot be imagined and the increase of that glory as you draw closer is greater and greater and greater. And these people have the audacity to suggest, no, look at me. I am the epitome of all that is good. There's nobody beyond me. That's what's really there. And I've seen it at the core of Christian culture, at the core of denominations, because it's at the core of mankind. But it is, make no mistake, it is the thing that the Spirit of God is after. So if there's some kind of threshold that you are celebrating about yourself right now, give it up. Give it up, because it will be challenged. And you might find yourself one day inadvertently, if you don't choose now to determine the direction you're going to go as it pertains to light in the future, you might be one of those voices that says, crucify him. And you won't even know, why is there so much rage reserved for this guy? Oh, and I've seen it. I've seen it in ministry circles all over the place. Anyway, I'm not going to go much further, but let me read one more passage of Scripture. And I want you to see the pattern here. Matthew 7, 1 to 5. It says, judge not that you be not judged, For with judgment, the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with with what measure you use, you will be measured back to you. So the question is, all right, is, is your covetousness of being the best at the core of your judgment? And look what it says. Now this is interesting. And why it's interesting the context, but I, I, I won't. Exp- I can't teach the whole thing, but I'll 
touch on this. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the, the speck in your eye and look, uh, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I want you to see the trickle-down effect of this. It's not the guy with the speck that's upset with the, uh, the guy with the plank. It's the guy with the plank that's upset with the guy with the speck. What if, what's, what's offensive is not people that are worse than us. What's offensive is people that are better than us. The guy with the speck didn't even think to judge the guy with, this, with, the, with the plank. You know why? Because he used to be that guy. And here's the thing. When you actually used to be that guy and you're actually looking at somebody, you have, we, we have loads of compassion and understanding for people who used to be where we were. We totally understand that. And our, our seniority is not threatened. It's good. You look at, well, oh yeah, I, you know what? This is okay. God can, God's got this. God's going to, you know, you can encourage that person. You can, you can bless them. You can cover them when they feel shame and condemnation because of the plank that's in right. It's all right. God is going to will this thing down. We're going to go with this together. You have, anybody who's behind you, you have compassion for. Because you've actually come through that. When God is breaking self-righteousness off you and you find somebody self-righteous and somebody immature and somebody proud, you think, you know, we can cover this. I I used to be that guy. I can do that. We have no problem looking back and and affirming and, and this. But the guy that's in front of us, that's the guy where I always find legitimate reasons to hate. Oh, yeah, he's really anointed, but have you seen him eat soup? <laughs> oh, sure, he's apostolic and acknowledged by, you know, global leaders, but, man, he's a terrible driver. Hardly ever stops at, at stop signs when he's turning right. Jeez. And, and, and he's aggressive. Aggressive. Jesus is gentle, you know. I mean, the, the ludicrous ends that we go to to justify our hostility for those that God has called us to respect and honor is unbelievable. But it's symptomatic of the primary issue that impedes us in our journey, which is there is resident in us still a resentment for a light greater than the light we are presently emanating And we would rather create a culture and a world that celebrates our present capacity and our present giftedness than suddenly be seen to be second, third, fourth, or fifth. And this is the heart of the kingdom of darkness that's built around division is built on this desire that's resident in the heart of every man, woman, and child that has ever been born. And God is saying, I want to free you to love the light. I want to free you from uh, the need to usurp, undermine, fault find those that are walking in a light that's more than you. But, 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 never mind. Listen, I'm telling you, 
if we can get this, the explosion of light that could come from a people. God is looking to and fro over the face of the earth right now for a people whose heart is fully towards him. God, I want the truth more than anything, and I don't want to tolerate the single amount, uh, not a sliver of darkness. I don't want to tolerate it. Be careful that the light that is in you be not darkness. It's a significant warning. So, Father, we want to say today, worship team, why don't you come up? We want to say today, Lord, that we, we don't know how to love the truth more than we do right now, and we don't know how to conquer this, this automatic impulse that's inside of us. We don't know how, how, do you, how do you stop when that light, that light that somebody comes and shines that's provoking you and there's instant rage, instant resentment, instant competition. How do you stop doing that? It seems to access the deepest part of me and I don't know what to do. And in that tension right there of your powerlessness to overcome that darkness is... Possibly the greatest cry of humility and hunger that you might ever be able to furnish. And out of that, heaven will respond. The potential here, the potential as God is looking, saying like, where will the next level of the manifestation of my glory, where will it emerge God's not deciding, we are deciding. He's looking to and fro because he's looking for a people who are so inclined. There's a lot of reasons why you might think, oh, we want revival here. We want to put Spruce Grove on the spiritual map of the world. And there can be a lot of pride in that. There can be a lot of self-righteousness and a lot of ambition. And that's true. And God can deal with that. But I'm telling you, that's what he wants to do. He wants to put Spruce Grove on the spiritual map of the world, not because we're better than the the next, but we've recognized we are not. And we become desirous for more light. And we will not spend our whole, our gifting, our energy, our strength, creating servitude towards our gift, creating lines of, of admiration and honor to us while killing anybody who seems to present, represent something beyond us. I tell you what, this is the reason why the prophets were persecuted. This is the reason why apostles are not held in high esteem. This is the reason why people find fault with every significant manifestation of revival in the earth because we say we want revival, but as soon as something happens that's not centered around me, that competes with others' esteem for me, well, I used to be the guy, and now they're going to Bethel. I used to be, I, I'm the guy in my denomination. So we, we build walls all around our organization say, don't go anywhere else. It's dark out there. It's scary. Stay in here. This is the safest place you could be. And we cultivate a hatred and a fear of the light, a, a fear of more, not because we really care, but we are committed endlessly 
committed to our own glory. And God is saying, I'm looking for a people who are putting their foot down and saying, it stops here and it stops now. I don't want this. Can you say that in your heart today? Can we say, he's looking for that response. We're saying, God, free us. God, free me. God, free me today. Now, it may take time for this to settle into your heart. And for some of us, this might be a seed that I don't even understand anything you just said. I'm so confused by what you just said. I, my mind is reeling. I, I can't get, this is not landing anywhere for me. That's all right. Let the seed go in, though, and let produce a harvest in the days and the weeks to come that will cause a, a new kind of turning inside of you because God is about to pour out light, immeasurable amounts of light all across the face of the earth. And he's wondering who wants it, who really wants the light, who really, really wants the truth. There was a prophet in the Old Testament that was persecuted by a king. And when one of the other kings asked him, why do you, why do you hate this guy so much? He said, well, he, he doesn't say good things about me. So I want to kill him. Who in your life do you hate because they don't say enough good things about you? Who in your life do you hate, do you resent, do you resist because they will not bow at the altar of your image? It can stop today. This can be an entirely new chapter. God, God, there's got to be more. So we're going we're gonna to shift as we come to close, but I'm just praying that we're going to lay down. I don't even know what the label, the tendency to build around us, but, but I, I want us to lay it down. When I first came to this church, there were, there were some people that resisted a direction. And they would say things like this. They would say, you know, well, this is, too, this is too high for the young Christians. But it was never about the young Christians. It was about them. When you are the esteemed leader and things are happening that are beyond you, it does not, if, it, it doesn't have to do this, but it does not reflect well on your pride and your sense of control and your sense of supremacy. And so the tendency is, I want to dial this back so that I look like the hero. We want to kill that thing. We want to, it is the th- thing that's most responsible for the church not moving ahead. So, Father, we say today, more glory, more light, more truth. Father, we don't know what is what. And some of these things might be very confusing, but we're, we're saying, as a disposition, Lord, give us the love of the truth so that we can embrace whatever you're doing, wherever you're doing, however you're doing, without being intimidated. Father, if there is darkness in our motivations, in our thoughts, in our judgments, in our estimations of others, Make it clear to us, Lord. We, we admit again today, Lord, we don't know what we're doing. 
And we can't see past what we know right now. But you can take us in. We say amen. Lord, take us in. All right. If you want to linger, just meditate. I encourage you to go back to these scriptures, read them, think about them. Ask God to show them how they're applied to your life and the world that you're in. Because he will. He can deepen the resolution to, in, to step into the light. Be blessed. Have a great week. Love one another. Love your family. I love you guys. I don't look on anybody here with shame or condemnation or disfavor. I'm just saying, come up higher. Come up higher. There's more. Be blessed.